We are back. It's been a while. It's been a long while. For those that don't know, Rob walked into a staff meeting in early January and we were setting goals with the staff and he said, I'm going to podcast every day with David Cottle. And we have not lived up to that goal. No, but we're back and we're going to get caught up. We so are. we are going to do every day. It's this just going to take us a little while to get, get back to it. And the key is, I mean, for us, this is really, we hope, helpful for us to talk through it. But for our people, they now have a resource that will live on beyond just this year. That they can go back and if they're reading a chapter of the Bible and they want to see like, hey, what did my pastor say about this? They can go out and Google this podcast and find whatever passage you're looking at. So may the Lord continue to bless it. Hey, so Esther 9 through 10. The king has uh, already destroyed wicked Haman. He's given this decree to Mordecai that the Jews can take up arms and defend themselves. And there's this bloody end to Esther. But the evil that that Haman had intended, right, to try and eradicate the Jews from the land is now thwarted and it's reversed. But what are we to make, Rob, when God's people go on the attack? I mean, it it could be viewed that way. We see it more as defensive, right? Yeah. Um, but then this feast of Purim right. is inaugurated based on this whole bloody account of what the Jews did. Is it okay for God's people to take up arms and be on the offensive? Well, that's that's an interesting question. <clears throat> you know, God is a God of judgment, right? God is God's glory is seen in salvation through judgment. And so when we when we think of God, we think of the grace of God, Christ upon the cross, the death of Jesus in his salvation for mankind, but we also have to think of the judgment of God that's poured out upon Christ upon the cross. It's not just the salvation of mankind. It is God's judgment upon the Son to provide salvation. And so God's uh, an act of, of, of God's character and his nature is justice and judgment. And Rightly so here, we see this Agagite who is trying to wipe out um, uh, God's people judged and his family judged and those who are against the enemies of God are judged. And so that is a theme throughout the Bible. The enemies of God will be judged. Um, Egypt was judged for their uh, wickedness against God's people holding them as slaves and then not letting them go. Um, but you have that in the beginning in the garden, that the the seed of the woman, um, the coming promised one, will crush the head of the serpent. And so uh, <clears throat> it is this seed of woman or the seed of the Messiah, the Christ, the coming one, who is coming to crush the enemy. And so this is a picture of that, the crushing of the enemy who seeks to kill God's people. And so throughout all of scripture and even what we see today, even with the conflicts of Iran and Israel, you see God's people, even the church today, trying to be taken out or crushed by the enemies of God. 
and uh, <clears throat> and when you see that, you understand that um, God will save His people through judgment. Yeah, and you preached it a couple weeks ago, but Psalm one and Psalm two are a contrast, right? Yes. So where Psalm one is celebrating, really pointing us forward to the Messiah, the one who cherishes the Word of God, uh, and his life is <coughs> prosperous, is contrasted in Psalm two the wicked man. Right, mm-hmm. really, the Antichrist who is opposed to the Lord's anointed, opposed to the Messiah, and so when we read these Old Testament books, they're pointing us to the greater narrative, like we've been talking about. We title it God's salvation through judgment, but it's the gospel coming to life, right? And so, represented through, like you said, the seed of the serpent, but Satan doing everything he can to try and oppose the way of God. He will lose in the end. And just like in Genesis where, um, you know, Joseph is, uh, from his own people is, you know, tried to be taken out or sold as a slave. God elevates him to second in command. Same as Daniel. God elevates Mordecai to second in command in a foreign people group who are, uh, you know, who have oppressed or are over God's people in exile in uh, Persia. So <clears throat> even though God is not mentioned in this word, the author is trying to show us the sovereign hand of God over all things, especially and, dealing with his people. Yeah, and in the greater narrative historically we're at, this conquering of the Jews is leading to favor from the king who in the midst of it is going to be sending back Jews to restore Jerusalem, rebuild the walls that we read with Ezra and Nehemiah. Yes. So God is always at work through the historical events around us. Contrast the Jews on the offensive here in Esther to the church in its early stages and Stephen's sermon that he yeah. preaches before being stoned yeah. by those that are hard-hearted. It's a long sermon. So remind us, Rob, who is Stephen and why is he significant in the early church? Yeah, so Stephen is one of the seven chosen to serve, the uh, precursor to the deacons, if you will, chosen to serve within the body. Um, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and obviously he is um, a proclaimer of the gospel. And some would say what he says here is quite harsh to the Jewish leaders, but um, what he's proclaiming is true. And, uh, you know, in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And then they stone him. Um, And this is my favorite part, verse 56. Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I mean, he sees Jesus standing. Right, it says that Jesus actually sits at the right hand of God, but he's standing in this circumstance. Why why do you think he's standing instead of sitting? What what are your thoughts on that? So I'll maybe focus on one side of it, but you kind of talk about the scriptures that you talk about 
Christ being seated right. at the right hand of the Father. So, you know, if we think of the heavenly courtroom where God will judge the living and the dead as the ultimate judge, and he's mm-hmm. judging on the basis of Christ, then I think there's this image that the Lord is giving to us through what Stephen saw. Yeah. That is, Jesus is our advocate. So we don't come to the Father because we're righteous on our own. We come to the Father because Jesus <coughs> says, I give you my righteousness, right. right? You're actually preaching that this this last Sunday when you talked about aging and death, right? Right. We only can come to the Father on the terms that Jesus has laid out, which is faith in Him. So I see it as a authoritative position that Jesus has been granted mm-hmm. that those to whom... He calls his own, right? We go back to the Gospel of John. He knows his sheep and he calls them by name. I think this is a comforting image for us that as we face death, Christ is there to receive us and to vouch for our life before God the Father. But what do you, what do you make of the passages that talk about him being seated? Well, <clears throat> yeah, Hebrews 1.3 says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, <clears throat> the finished work of the cross, Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And <clears throat> obviously there's that text in Psalm chapter uh, 110, which David is 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 saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. But <clears throat> Christ standing up, I think, has significance um, not only to to understand the advocation like which you said he's advocating for um his person but also to realize that you know this is uh he's pleased yeah he's pleased with with Stephen and his witness in in Christ and so um God obviously allowed him to see this, and at some point, um, you know, it's 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 an incredible picture in which God has given Stephen a vision as he's about to die. And why are they upset about Stephen's sermon and his his rebuttal? Because the accusation we have to go back right a long time ago from the last podcast, but the accusation was that these Christians. These followers of Jesus wanted to destroy the temple and basically throw out the Mosaic law. Right. But when we talk about interpreting scripture, whether it's old or new, it's always done through the lens of the gospel, which includes not only the death of Christ, but his resurrection. So it's not enough to even when we teach the teachings of Jesus to view it as a list of rules, mm-hmm. which is how they approach the, the words of Moses, right? Right. We see all these things fulfilled. And so Stephen is just doing what, what we ought to do in our preaching. He's bringing to life the story that God unveiled through Moses in his life and the actions right. of the Exodus to show that Jesus did a greater Exodus for us Amen. and is ultimately the, the means of our salvation. And for that, they're both doubly accused, right? Not only have they missed the mark, but they're so spiritually blind. They're now... Just like we talked about with Haman, killing God's people right. at the rejection of Christ. But his reaction, right? <coughs> How would you react being stoned? It's interesting that he mirrors Christ 
on the cross, right? Yeah, Lord, do not hold this against this sin against them. And guess who's in the crowd? It's Saul, Saul. who will be Paul. And as a result of Stephen, his faith that God would not hold the sin against them, he could actually use these people for his glory. He will. And so it's this this beautiful picture of the gospel actually moving through Stephen's death to get to Paul and the movement of the gospel forward. So... I think that Paul will remember this moment the rest of his life and be driven by the fact of Stephen held on to his faith no matter how hard it was. And Paul would be one who, in the same area of Stephen, would hold to his faith no matter what would happen. And not only that, I think this is also going to shake Saul, who will become Paul, in how he understands the grace of God in his own life. He was the one overseeing the murder of Stephen, and God <clears throat> saw him fit to still receive grace and mercy for his sin. Yeah. So no matter how far you personally feel you are from the Lord because of your sin, I mean, Saul is a great example. Nothing can overcome. If God has chosen to save you, he will save you despite your worst sins. It's a great first day. Welcome back. Red Bible Force. Rundown. See you later.